Alan with us. We are doing a series that has been shared by Miles and James on this rock he will build and I grow more and more in conviction that uh, our Lord is building his church no matter what we see and Miles is something like that a little earlier. Uh, it's funny though when you, uh, for me, as I sort of keep thinking, reflecting on Matthew's gospel and keep writing about it, speaking about it, it sort of takes me back to years ago I suppose and uh, it's 40 years this year uh, that in fact I first met my young bride Rhonda and it was around this time and it was on a young adult house party weekend away and at the time I used to work part-time for a donut company. I used to deliver donuts on a Saturday morning and all of us know here the nutritional value of donuts. I'm sure that there's, uh, there's no argument there, it just keeps you young. Um, and it just so happens the young adults went down Friday night in a bus and I had the blessing of leaving uh, after my job Saturday morning. And the expectation was that you should take a whole lot of trays of donuts down for the young adults. I accepted that, but of course I also had to pick up the minister to take him down. A guy called Peter Watson, who was a minister at St Luke's Miranda, later became a bishop and archbishop of Melbourne. So it was interesting, I didn't know Peter that well, interesting conversation. Of course we get down there and uh, uh, by about 10 o'clock and the donuts were gone in about five minutes. I think all the men liked the jam and cream donuts, especially rich in nutritional value, as you know. Uh, lovely to eat. Um, but I sort of had a moment in time where I thought, I wonder if they just encouraging me because I brought food down. Is that my worth or value to them? And sometimes you can feel that in life, as in do they like me for who I am? Is it what I can bring? And I have no doubt that Jesus felt that and maybe even his disciples. Um, and so as we jump through again, thinking about uh, Matthew's Gospel and how it impacts our church and how it shapes who we are, I just want you to keep thinking about, look, the reality is as you see, and hopefully you picked it up as James read, that the King does care. King Jesus really does care and as a result of that he's teaching his disciples how to care and he's teaching his people like us how to care. If he cares we should care and I have no doubts I hear extraordinary stories of how fig tree is a church, how you guys really care for people which is fantastic. At the same time I can also hear extraordinary stories about how we might have failed in caring for people. But just think with me for a moment Back to Matthew 7, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Uh, that shouldn't surprise you, especially as we're moving towards Matthew 16. We've called the series on this rock, so the analogy, the thinking is already there in Matthew 17. The streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Do any of you remember the old song about building your house on the rock? Look, it just so happens that I have two free tickets to the gingerbread night if there are some brave women who'd like to come up right now and lead us in a rendition because I've forgotten how you do it. So you can take the... I can have two women get a ticket each. And look at you all sitting there, your arms crossed. There's no way I'm going to embarrass myself like that. Heck, if I could remember it, I'd do it. I had someone, we were at a granddaughter's birthday party yesterday and I said to my daughter, can anyone remember that? And... They'd all forgotten it. I've forgotten. Does any young lady here free tickets to the gingerbread night? $37 worth of value. All you got to do is just come and stand here and just quick rendition of build your house on the rock. Anyone? Hey, Miley, way to go. Look, if there's someone else, but Miley's going to get both tickets. Come on. Uh, do you want a microphone? No. So, of course. You can. Let me. Uh, I'll, you, uh, Miley, uh, Tony, red microphone. Are you going to use that one? Use this one. Oh, no, you need a hair. Yeah, both hands, I know. 
Hang on, let me put this down. This, as you can see, this is all planned, all organised. I hope I know this. Don't, don't tell, sister, whether you know it or not, I can imagine the love that's going to come to you from this mob. There we go. Okay, I hope I got the right song. That's all right. Okay, is everyone joining me? Yes. It starts off, the wise man built his house upon the rock. And it goes like this. You can sing along. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man... His house upon the rock. Louder. Wise house And the rain came tumbling down. And the rain came down as the floods came up. And the rain came down as the floods came up. The rain came down as the floods came up. And the house on the rock stood firm. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the rain came tumbling down. came tumbling down as floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the rains came down and the floods came up. The house on the rock went crash. So, there's one more verse. Jesus Christ, build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ. To build your house on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the come down. That's right. The blessing hey, hey, gotcha. come, come on. Yeah. Well done. Here we are. Two free tickets to Miley. Come and see me after so I can pay for them. Yeah. <laughs> well, give Miley. That's a, uh, you know. That's awesome. And some people think you get embarrassed in church life. Let's move on. Um, so that's important, the rock theory, of course. And again, in Matthew, as you look at chapter 9, uh, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. This shouldn't surprise you. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, compassion, love, caring. It, it has to be a major ingredient of any church in any context as you move into the future. It just has to be. No matter how bad we're at it, no matter whether we fail at it, we have to model Christ and you see he's teaching his disciples this is there because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Bring them into a community is so crucial. And so this is the direction of Matthew's gospel. This is what Jesus is teaching his disciples about. Build on me, understand who I am and really have compassion on others. And so as we go through this, when I think about how does it apply to us, because the context of the story for those who were last year again, uh, John had just been beheaded, tragedy, awful. Uh, and what happens? The disciples come to tell Jesus what had gone on. And uh, it was quite a gruesome moment last week. Jesus hears. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. He needed some downtime. There's no doubt about that in tragedy. Uh, often you need to just get space on your own. I think that's more and more an issue for all of us in today's world. We actually sometimes need to just have time to think. No phones, no tablets, no Netflix, just a walk and quietness. And sometimes you don't know what to do with the quietness, but our Lord needs it. And as old preacher would say, guess what? If our Lord needed to get away, so do we. Yes. Uh, what happens there? Uh, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on, f uh, on foot from the towns. It's like, he can't escape. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, what did he do? He had compassion on them and healed their sick. 
Now he does later on in Matthew 14, around verse 23, he does again, if, I hope you heard from James, seek to get time away. So, he, so if, if you struggle to get time on your own, then pastor, I'd say to you, if it's failed today or yesterday, try and find some time this afternoon to catch your breath before you jump into another week. And so Jesus, as he looks around, he didn't get the headspace, he didn't have time, but he sees the crowd and he is concerned for the crowd. And there's no doubt that like other miracles, the feeding of the 5,000 is one of those most outstanding miracles. And yes, you've probably heard it before, you've probably seen it, uh, but Jesus is mindful of what it means. He's mindful of seeing, and some statistics would say, you know, 10, 15, maybe even 20,000 people are there. Because the passage just talks about 5,000 men and women and, and children, so there's a lot of people there. And you can go further for those who love Matthew's Gospel like I do. You can push it right to Matthew 22 because in Matthew 22 there's a moment there about a banquet, about inviting people, everyone, everywhere to this amazing banquet in heaven. And so I have a sense that we're connecting this as well, that as Jesus seeks to feed people, he's going to feed them also eternally. And that comes up later. So picture the scene. Oh, there's people who have been on mission. The disciples actually have come back on mission. They're probably pretty tired. They probably want to, some downtime, probably want to debrief what's gone on. And in in earlier part of Matthew 14, Herod had a, a very different sort of party, a bit of a wild party. And so we're thinking through, so tragedy, reaction, how do you do this? How do you get time away? And it's tough. And so we move into the, you know, well, okay, if we want to be taught about how to trust Jesus, how do we respond? So see what happens. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. So just as you think about this Jesus' compassion, he wants the disciples to understand what is going on, to be responsible, the miracle itself. You've got this direct confrontation. This, you know, Maybe the disciples have a very natural human response. As in, do you see how many people are here? You want us to do what? And probably I think Jesus, they must have been surprised at Jesus' response. No, don't send them away. You feed them. You take responsibility. You, what's going on around it? How many people are there? What's their need? What do they have? Maybe even, look, it's Matthew, for Pete's sake, you've actually seen me perform so many miracles. Maybe you should even come back to me and ask me what I could do. I still find those words, uh, <laughs> send the crowds away. I, ever found that in life or ministry? You're sort of around people and you think, I just want to go home and just can you tell the kids to leave me alone? Any of you ever done that? Keep your hands down in case someone's looking at you. I've done that. And those words, you give them something to eat. It's like, wow, Jesus, just give us a break. Don't you understand what's going on? We're tired. <laughs> no, don't send them away. Don't send them away. You know, this amazing miracle. You know, trust me, Jesus, respond. Let us help those who are there and he goes on further in verse 18 all right i don't know that he said it in a frustrating tone might have been in capital letters back then bring them 
here to me, he said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, very profound moment, uh, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Now, later on, we're going to uh, break bread and have communion, and so we connect what we do here with what our Lord has done. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Simple line, gave the disciples first, then the disciples modelled that and handed it out. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls, 12, very important, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 disciples, very uh, important number in terms of completion and fulfilment, biblically speaking. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. There are a lot of people. Uh, feeding them in that way, it absolutely is a miracle. Uh, most of the bread, is my guess, would have been consumed and a lot of people have to deal with hunger. But again, I'm amazed, God actually starts with what they have. And that actually is also historic in terms of the Old Testament. Starts what do they have and then multiplies what they have. And sometimes we often underestimate what God can do in any given situation or circumstance. I was reading the other day when Moses insisted that he needed a sign to take with him. God asked him, well, what was already in his hand, Exodus 4? Using merely a shepherd's rod, he was able to part to see, what do you have? What can I do with what you have? And we know that as we think about this bread analogy that Jesus says in John 6, of course, that I'm the bread of life. Jesus points us all to him. Whoever comes to me will not go hungry, will not be thirsty. Uh, and we heard that Last year as well, in Matthew 11, come to me all who labour and are heavy laden. God is never intimidated by the magnitude of our problem. And again, it's a family connection. It's a church connection. It's a community connection. When we have communion, it's not just... Well, it is. You're coming down individually to take communion, but you're doing it together. You're doing it as a family, as a group. It's more than just a symbol of sustenance. When you gather with us next week, which I hope you do at 9.30, I hope you understand it actually is about us as a family, not just 10 o'clock, not just 6 o'clock. It's about us as one body. And when you gather, it's actually a symbol of unity, a symbol of I value what's going on, I value being part of a bigger thing. And so in Jesus' new community he's developing, we've heard this before, it's a new community of people, all different, different ages, different sizes, different likes, different dislikes, a new society is being developed. And he's doing it through major issues like heartache and need and pain. And he wants his disciples and his church, which means us, to understand how you respond in circumstances like this as you think through challenging days and think through life that challenges us. So just watch this clip to give you a bit of an insight into that. This hymn is a tremendous hymn as far as its uh, explanation of who God is. Obviously, the, the message is, is there. Uh, a true friend. Um, all our needs and sorrows bear. Bring it to, to the Lord in prayer. Uh, he cares. He sustains. I don't know about you, but how many times we fail to really realize what a friend we do have in the Lord.
In the spring of 1844, the hills of Ireland were green. Clouds drifted across painted skies. And for a young Irishman, the future was filled with hope and promise. Joseph Scriven had completed his university education and returned to his home outside of Dublin. He was engaged to his childhood love and soon planned to take her hand in marriage. On the day before their wedding, Scriven's fiancée rode out to meet him along the banks of the River Bond. In a terrifying instant, her horse was startled and she was thrown headfirst into the rushing waters. Knocked unconscious by the fall, she drowned moments before Scriven arrived. And they were taking the body out of the water and he was close enough to look. And he looked into the face of the girl that he was supposed to marry the next day. As he said later, he said, the bottom of my world seemed to just disappear. And he said, no, wherever I looked after that in Ireland, I always was reminded of the wonderful day I had looked forward to that never had occurred. It's 1844. He's heartbroken. He can no longer stay in Ireland. In 1845, he moves to Canada, where he spends the rest of his life. And he makes the decision he's going to serve people. And so for some 30, 40 years, he bases his whole life on Matthew uh, 5, 6 and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, goes around uh, looking after people. Joseph Scriven is his name. And eventually as he settles in, he uh, tries to deal with the tragedy of the loss and life through service. And then, through God's providence, falls in love again to a young girl called Eliza, 23. And uh, two weeks before there to marry, she gets pneumonia and dies. And sometimes life, and you're talking about the 1800s, and in fact we live a life, when you look at stories gone by, that's why I like looking at hymns. Often hymns are written out of tragedy and they have far more profound effect on me. I don't know about you. And in that moment, of course, he was totally devastated, wondering what God is doing, why is it so tough, and he writes a poem to his mother back in Ireland. Uh, and in his poem... He says this, Dear Mum, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. He didn't put music. To, it's a poem he wrote. Out of that later on, of course, you know the song, What a Friend. And it's a reminder to me when in life when there's issues and care, where do I go with that? Do I, like others have done along the way, consider I have a friend in Jesus, I need to take it to him in prayer. And again, today I'll invite you as we have communion to come down and to receive prayer. I encourage you to be in that space. But the story goes that Shriven understood who he stood on, that he understood that Christ was a firm foundation no matter circumstances that he saw. He knew that Christ was a rock. He knew that we must take our concerns to Jesus. He knew that we needed to trust the one who had given his life. And I can't imagine how his life had gone at that point. But it's a lesson about what you do when life isn't working out. And I've always liked the song. 
And so as you hear that in this whole situation of feeding the 5,000 disciples being overly concerned, Jesus does feed them. He does provide. And then we move to the next part in this story because obviously there's a testing going on now and graciously there's a rescue at the same time. And so you read this, uh, immediately Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go ahead to the other side. He dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Again, he sought solace, time, with his heavenly father. Later that night, he was there alone. He is a man of prayer. You know, it's, it's a wonder when you look back, uh, politically speaking, maybe he could have hung around and seen the benefit of, you know, people are going to be so excited, I've just fed them, you know, but no, he's done that, he needs to get away. Uh, and when we put our minds around our dear disciple Peter, we need to think, Peter really is just like a typical disciple, he's just like us. He's not, it's easy to bag him out in one sense, but he's just like us. Uh, and you read this, uh, shortly before dawn, uh, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Now, it would have been a bizarre experience. I'm not going to bag him out because I thought it was a ghost. I haven't seen anyone walk on water. You know that I can't walk on water. You know that you can't walk on water. Uh, but he can clearly see they're upset, wind, waves. It's okay. Take courage. It's me who's here. Don't be afraid. And what I've always found fascinating with these, these, these stories and these moments, it, it's one of the great examples of actually how we are called to take Jesus at his word. It's the ultimate test of faith. To believe him in what he has said and to act on it. And so we know that. And so Peter, brave man, isn't he? Lord... If it's you, it's actually nearly saying, Lord, since it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water. And I just, can you imagine, just got out of the boat, started walking towards Jesus, he actually walked on water. It's like, wow. And then what happens? When he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And that is a life lesson for all of, all of us, you know, as you seek to trust, to understand. Jesus does rescue him. He reaches down and pulls him out. Uh, at least Peter, unlike the other disciples, got out of the boat. He's going, where's the story? And the disciples say, hang on, Peter, we'll come too. Now that's not there, but he gets out. Uh, Jesus does expect his disciples to model him. Jesus does expect his followers his church his people to model him and his heart and his love for others and our faith grows through testing not that i like it not that we like it and i don't go to bed at night and say to my beloved Rhonda, honey could you just pray that tomorrow when i get up the lord will test me more tomorrow i don't know whether you ask your husband i don't know whether i pray that Lord, it's been a really great month. I think it's been too easy, October. Can you make November really hard so I can grow more? But make no mistake, as we are tested, as we are challenged, something happens inside in regards to our trust and our faith in God. And indeed, 
What happens at this moment, at the end, and when they climbed the boat, into the boat, the wind died down, then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. It seems to me in our most greatest moment of need, in our most dire of circumstances, humanly speaking, there really are only three words that seem apt. Lord, save me. Lord, help me. They're the words that I think often come across my mind in terms of life. And the message here is for Peter as much as it is for us. How do you respond when these things happen? Truly, you are the Son of God. And so in that space there, there's a treasure of who Jesus is and there's a restoring of faith and relationship. Uh, And at the end of that, when James read out from verse 18, of course, they cross over and when the man when the men of that place recognized Jesus they sent word to all the surrounding country people brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak and all who touched it were healed were healed the kingdom of god the community that god is building is for all is for all uh, there's no doubt as we think about our church and as i think about our church and as i think about the future and think about our our vision statement to be faithful, adventurous, compassionate. It's quite possible it means very little to some. It may mean everything to me because the issue of compassion is so crucial in how we move the kingdom out, how we connect, how we relate, how we truly do show care. And when we fail, we have to get up again and try again. And many of you might have tasted a failed act of compassion. Many of you might have tasted a really successful way of being cared for. Every Sunday after church, our compassion is tested towards others. You know, hopefully you know that. As in, do I stay in my group? Do I get out? Do I stretch out? Do I walk out and say hello to someone else? Does someone else come to me? I don't wait for someone to come to me. Often I'll just go and talk to people. And that's really irrespective of the, I'm in a job with a role and a salary and things like that. It's irrespective of that. I'm amazed how when you talk to people, they share their stories. And it helps me in my faith and my journey. This is what Jesus is expressing to his church. Be compassionate. Care for others. Take that step. Trust in God. He is the Son of God. I've always loved this uh, thought. Jesus' compassion was his constant and conscious strategy for mission. May that be our strategy. I want to see the church grow. I want to see numbers triple and all those great and glorious godly things. But I tell you what, if we can't show love with acts of compassion, it would be a pretty hollow place. As our communion helpers get ready to serve as communion, let me end with this story. Last year, Ruth Graham, speaking at her father, Billy Graham's funeral. It's on YouTube, you can watch it. In her eulogy of her father, she had a very personal moment. And she, it was a very touching moment, as she shared. I think she's the middle child of their, of their kids. She'd been married some 18 years, uh, had children and family, and after 18 years she discovered that her husband had had an affair. Her life was turned upside down, her world was destroyed. Uh, in a few months, she met another man and on New Year's Eve made the decision to marry him. Within 24 hours, she spoke and said, I realised I'd made a mistake. Within five weeks, she'd left him. He'd been violent towards her. And she wondered, what will I do? I don't want to embarrass my father, let alone, it's Billy Graham. 
So she decided to go home. She says in the eulogy, as she rounded the last turn and got towards the driveway and pulled in, her father, Billy Graham, was there waiting for her. She pulled up in the car, she got out, he walked towards her, wrapped his arms around her and just said, welcome home. It was a very powerful moment. She said this, no guilt, no shame, no blame. And in that moment, he gave me unconditional love. And again, for the first time, I understood what God's love was like. And I said that to all of us, to remind myself and you, that our lives are complex. I've said that many times. Our kids will do things, we will do things, our grandkids will do things. There's all sorts of things there. But at the end of the day, when it comes to tragedy and trust and being tested and being a church, a people of God who truly do have a heart for others, it must first and foremost start with us and our love for others as seen in our own families. And sometimes family love can be the hardest love. But for all of us, as I think about those words, we live in a world that is just... I'm convinced the world does not know where to turn anymore in just about every area of life and especially when it comes to matters that really matter, spiritual things, your heart, the things that you value. And so as uh, our communion helpers come down uh, and put the elements there, as we think about having communion, as we prepare ourselves for that, as we think about the heart that God wants us to have, and I encourage you to if there's things in your life, I really do encourage you, myself, for Shane, Rhonda, my wife, and uh, Haley be down here for prayer. I really do encourage you to think about coming down for prayer. Bring your needs before our Lord. You know, on the night he was betrayed, we read in 1 Corinthians, he broke bread, and we're doing that today, and he took bread and he broke it to his disciples saying, take, eat. Remember my death, remember my life. And we do, we celebrate communion as a family because of what Christ has done. And we drink grape juice to remind ourselves that his blood was shed, no more blood. And with profound forgiveness at the cross as we come to Jesus. That's why I love the movement of you guys coming down. And because of that, we know the truth of these words from Hebrews 4. Uh, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, just Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And we sing about it. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever is happening in your world, whether you feel like getting out of the boat or not and trusting in God, I encourage you to take some steps. I encourage you to realise that Jesus was on a mission, a kingdom mission, a people mission, to demonstrate his love for others and that's what we as a church are called to do. So I invite you to come down in that space, have communion, take time out for prayer and as we do that, bring your concern to a Heavenly Father. I'm going to serve our communion helpers right now and then I invite you to come down and also be served as well.